Today in Ag News, two eaglets have been born to two Washington, D.C. eagles named Mr. President and the First Lady. A bakery in London has relaunched a version of the cronut topped with a Cadbury cream egg, and Iowa has suspended its egg inspections to guard against the transmission of bird flu. Here in the Popular Mechanics office, we have even better egg news, because we've just learned the easiest way to get a hard-boiled egg out of its shell without going completely insane. We also get a lesson in 3D printing from Austin Roby of Make Mode, a 3D printing studio in Brooklyn that offers a crash course in 3D printing, as well as a design workshop. Regular guests Roy Berenson and Alex George stop by with tips. And on the testing table, we find out that no one in our office seems to be any good at getting up in time for work. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler, and this is the most useful podcast ever. I think this is maybe the most exciting thing that we've done at Popular Mechanics. We actually have a bunch of silent observers in the podcast room with us right now, <laughs> whom I will not name. Um, but we have several egg testers here today. Uh, Matt Goulet, who uh, referred to his roommates as egg eaters yesterday. Uh, mm-hmm. And I guess they were testing some hard-boiled egg tricks. Yes. And we did all four techniques. Oh, exciting. Oh, I'm excited. So we were oh, really wow. cross them. Because Kevin, you did... This is Kevin Duke. I only you tried a, two. You tried two. Okay. Um, and I've never one. been formally called an egg eater, but I'd like to think of myself as an egg eater. <laughs> okay, well, all right, so we your roommates tried, tried four different techniques, so what did they try? Well, first I should set the parameters for you. We had four brown jumbo eggs. And what are we trying to do? We're trying to peel And them. we're trying to most efficiently peel them. Okay. And, and this is when we were peeling an egg that was boiled for seven minutes. They go for like a sort of like a, a soft, they like the softer yolk. That's what I like too. Yeah. So they only did a seven minute boil. Uh, there was three of them were in one of those, and a separate enamel pan was another egg, same size, but with two tablespoons of baking soda, which is what the egg blowing technique required. Yep. Each of the four eggs came out of the water after seven minutes um, from their respective pans and went straight into an ice bath uh, where they were able to cool. We took the one out. One method said to use one that was sort of like just cool to touch, but not necessarily cold. It was supposed to be still relatively warm. Uh, so we took that one out first. And that was shaking in a glass method one. Okay. So that was the first one we did. And that was out actually in the ice the least amount of time. So you fill a glass with water and you kind of palm the the mouth of the glass and you just shake the hell out of it in your sink until about all the water comes out of the glass from your shaking. By that point, you know, the shell has been kind of broken up around the egg and it should slide off nice and easily. The results in this test showed that that like a lot of the egg white still adhered to the shell that was coming off. And so you kind of got that, like, weird, lumpy... Oh, chunky egg. Cr- chunky egg, Ugh. yeah. So, and, and that was after minimal cooling. The, the egg kind of seemed a little bit soggier. I think it just it kind of... The egg itself absorbed a little bit more water mm-hmm. via that process. So, like, the hard-boiled egg itself, like, that was probably the one that they least were looking forward to to eating at breakfast this morning. So that was that one. That was sort of, like, the least impressive. But this is where things started to get interesting. Because the next one we did was the famous egg-blowing one that Jackie's going to do next. And the video that Tim Ferriss, who's a famous life hacker on the internet, apparently, uh, does is when he does it, it's like two little taps and like two almost like small little pieces of the egg on both ends come off. And and he just does a quick blow and out you have an egg. It's amazing. For us, uh, a lot of the egg white still stuck to the you know, the side of the shell, the chunks still kind of came out with it. And we ended up, felt like we had to take off a lot more shell than we needed to. And, and it was just the process of like peeling off enough shell 
off the top of the egg uh-huh. to get a blowhole going. We did get like a good whistle sound coming out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it makes the best sound. Yeah. Um, I've, I, so I will say this is the one that I tried. I only tried one because I just moved yesterday and I had to find pots and it was really complicated. <laughs> um, it worked like a charm really? for me. But I also used a ton of baking soda. Holy crap. Like I, I, It was an accident because I couldn't find my tablespoon. So I, was <laughs> right. just, I just kind of put it on. I was like, well, all right, fine. It'll be fine. And um, so I did... I. Basically, I put the egg into already hot water because I've right. read that that uh, that is one of the better ways to do it. I put it in for eight minutes. Um, okay, so a little bit longer. Than a those. little bit longer, and then I put it into cold water. I don't have any ice because I just moved mm-hmm. and don't have ice things yet. <laughs> um, so, but I did put it in cold water. And how long did you let it cool in there? Um, did you like go it, away and like I watch it an episode? Sh- of TV? I gave it ten minutes. Yeah. Okay, that's a good. One. Um, I gave it ten minutes, and then uh, so I did this when it was hot, and I cracked it, and it wasn't it wasn't like two tiny pieces that came off. It was a little bit. You, you know, would say more, like like an eighth of a shell on each side, right? Maybe uh, a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, about like that. I yeah. mean, I actually brought the eggs with me. They've been in the fridge now, so I'm hoping that this doesn't screw it up. But oh, all right, let's see. Uh, so when I did this this morning, it definitely was super easy. So this is about what I took off this morning. Was okay, about see, that much. we took off much more. So this we, is like okay. the size, that's of, a, a pretty, the size yeah. of a dime. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a nice small area. Uh, and then, okay, let's try it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a 4th of July in this podcast right now. Yeah. So yeah, I mean. What? It came that it worked better this morning. Are you lightheaded? No, yeah, a little. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, was, yeah. that was that was more work than it was. It was more work than I did. This. So I did it. They were still a little, I think, warm inside this morning. But like, it definitely worked just now. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's 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 not. I, I mean, call this it morning, gimmicky. This morning it was like just smooth. As yeah. Smooth going. Do you, okay. Uh, what would what which one worked best for you? Because clearly oh. this one didn't. The next best thing we did was actually the third thing we did, which was the spoon method, mm-hmm. um, which was brought to our attention by this lovely old lady on YouTube. I loved her in that video. And her <laughs> husband who couldn't The first, the first the half of the video is just like, them trying to figure out if they're ready to start. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, on the spoon method, it came off pretty easily. Again, we were having issues with like piece of egg sticking to the inside of the shell. Mm-hmm. Um, it came out much cleaner than the other two methods we'd previously tried. Um, and it came off much faster than the other two methods that we had previously tried. And I actually, I think I prefer this process best is because you kind of, you have to use um, sort of like a thin, hard edge spoon on it. You get yeah. a good crack on it and you get right under it and it's almost kind of like rolling it around. And it feels like this would work normally and good. So that one was great. But the best one we did, and this was, again, the question of just because it may have been in the ice longer. Yeah. And this was an ice built method is that... Um, you take the egg in the ice water and you sort of like break it, the shell in the ice water, and then you take it out and roll it on a table and just sort of have it roll off of there. And it came off like fast and clean as, and nothing stuck to the shell at that point. That's um, how my grandma always taught me yeah. to do it. Like we, so you just, uh, after you shock it in ice water, you crack it and let the water seep under it, then roll it. And then you put it back underwater to kind of like just smooth everything off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how my grandma used to do it, which grandmas, you can't really, yeah. you got to trust grandmas know what they're doing. Yeah. The grandma method worked best for us as well. Mm-hmm. 
Senior editor Roy Berenson is in the podcast room today to teach us some stuff that we don't know about vocabulary. That's unusual for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend not to think of myself as somebody with, uh, um, a, you know, a, an expert in vocabulary. Well, you're a writer, and, and you know a lot more about concrete and cement than I do. Oh, well, that's that's the point right there. You know, that's <laughs> that's that's our lead in. I've been calling it cement. I've been calling it cement for a long time. And it's not. Is that correct? That's correct. And, and lots of people make that mistake, Jackie. Uh, cement is an ingredient in concrete. Oh. All uh, all concrete or Portland cement, you know, concrete it has cement in it. Um, so but the sidewalk is concrete. That's correct. Yeah. So cement is an ingredient like a flour in a cake. You know, think of it that way. Oh, so I shouldn't be calling cake flour either. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Because I have been. No, I haven't been. Um, so how, how do you think that people started confusing these? Uh, you know, that's a good question. Um, concrete was actually not widely known um, in the United States until really it became most widely known after, it sounds crazy, I know, after World War II. That's when they started building all those ugly buildings out of it. Well, uh, ugly buildings and miles and miles and miles of highway. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was this, um, you know, further confusing matters. There was a song that, that, that really um, made matters worse. It was called Cement Mixer Putty Putty, believe it. <laughs> yeah, and that, and that it didn't help. It didn't help. Wait, so a cement mixer, that's actually a a concrete mixer. That's correct, yeah. Wow. Yeah, call it a concrete truck or something. A concrete truck. Yeah, my my mind has just been blown. Yeah, it's it's, uh, amazing. It's not a cement mixer. Yeah, not a cement mixer. Although sort of, because it's mixing cement into Ah, good point. Yeah, people in the industry tend to call it a cement mixer, you know. They'll say, "Yeah, the cement mixers do here." And what are some other What are some other ones we should know about? Oh, there are lots of them. Uh, people will often uh, mix up the framing members in in a house. They'll call uh, not carpenters. Uh, but, but <laughs> I hope not. Yeah, let's hope not. Um, studs uh, are the vertical framing members, usually spaced at 16 inches on center, sometimes 24 inches on center, as opposed to a joist. A joist is the horizontal framing member that makes a floor or a ceiling. Ah, so you're not going to hang a, a chandelier on a stud. You're going to hang it on a joist. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Let me see. Another one might be, uh, oh, I don't know. How about uh, power and voltage? What? Oh, no, what's the that, difference? That, yeah, that, that gets a little bit more complicated. Electricity is described in many ways. One is current and one is voltage. Current is the uh, uh, the flow and voltage is the pressure, and power is the product of voltage times current. So that's also a a highly specific thing. So Um, when would people use that wrong? Well, if I say the power is coming out of the wall, power is coming out of the wall, right? You you would say the perhaps the outlet is energized or or something. (laughs) I don't know if I'm going to change that. That seems crazy. Well, there is no power. There, there is no electricity (laughs) being supplied uh, to the to the home. Uh, it's it's out somewhere. It's it's uh, you have an open circuit at some some point in this in the uh, grid. I'm gonna start saying that. Well, yeah, oh, we got an open circuit here. We got an open circuit. This is, <laughs> uh, can't have this. Close this circuit. Which is uh, you know it's funny. Even that is like it's counterintuitive. People think of open. You know like 
like the gate is open and the power, or we would say the circuit is flowing. But when the circuit is open, nothing flows. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, it's when the circuit is closed that, that so current. That's when you get, yeah. yeah. When, where people get into trouble is when they start talking in more specific terms. And then, you know, that, at that point, you have to be a bit more accurate. Right. If you're yeah. wiring a, a concrete chandelier to your joist. Yes, uh, very good. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did it. Yeah. Now that would be a heck of a chandelier, a concrete. <laughs> so I hope that helps. Yeah, no, that's that's very helpful. I think I've learned a lot about my decor choices as well as vocabulary. There we go. We have Austin Roby with us from Make Mode in Brooklyn, who's going to teach me and Katie McDonald, our assistant to the editor in chief, who's here today as well, how to 3D print. Uh, welcome, Austin. Hello. Uh, what do you do out at Make Mode? Would say we do three things primarily. One is we have a number of higher-level industrial 3D printers, so we run those as a service for a number of creative professionals in New York as kind of like a micro factory. Um, Secondly, we do a more higher touch service where we actually design and manufacture custom objects for a number of different types of clients, typically advertising agencies or people that just need very highly custom, strange, weird objects. Um, And then we also teach and host classes on how people can learn 3D printing. And so what uh, what are some of the stranger things you've printed for people? Like, I'm curious now. You said, <laughs> yeah, like, you said um, weird things. Said weird <laughs> things. <laughs> and we were like, hmm. When did I hear weird things? <laughs> um, I think by nature, everything is weird. Like, <laughs> oh. that, uh, it's, they're all very highly custom things. If it's something that someone comes to us to design something from, you know, a napkin sketch or something like that, um, there have been things that I've had to advise that might not be safe to put in your body or... Oh, uh, oh my God. <laughs> what is that? Okay. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. It's 3D printing, breaking, 3D all, breaking barriers. all sorts of barriers. <laughs> Since a lot of the designs uh, tend to be more open source, you can uh, remix them and Im- improve products. Um, I've seen a lot of scans of art and statues, which I think is really interesting. Oh. Um, so we've printed some bust of statues that we just thought were cool that we downloaded. That's neat. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so how much would something like that cost if you printed something as large as, let's say, like as large as my head? I, the answer to that is always it depends. It's uh, most companies and my company, Make Mode too. we charge by cubic centimeter, by volume material. Okay. Uh, so if something's completely solid, then that would add up really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the ability to also make models hollow, to mm-hmm. use less material, so that's mm-hmm. like one way of getting around that. So you start off with the design, and you you have that file. What would be that next step in your, in your course? Like, where would they go after that? Well, um, you would probably be informed by what material you want. So judging on that, you can go a number of different routes. So you can go to an online service provider, like Shapeways is one, which is sort of like an Amazon of 3D printing. Mm -hmm. So you can upload a file, they will print it for you and then ship it back to you. And they have a really wide range of materials, which is really nice. Um, 3D Hubs is another place you can go with a file, sort of like the Airbnb of 3D printing. So it connects you to a lot of 3D printers in your area locally. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, And a lot of the people on there are home hobbyists with desktop printers so you can find someone potentially really close to you where you can 
have prints done very inexpensively. And then uh, if you had your own, you could do that too. You could like join up as a printer. Yeah, or you could just buy a printer. That's <laughs> well, right. Yeah. You could buy a printer. I guess my question is, if if you're not a designer, if you're not a person who's prototyping, how much use are you going to get out of a 3D printer? Probably not enough to um, get a marginal benefit. I think it's for the, the designer and the curious hobbyist. I feel like, you know what would be really good for 3D printing, I don't know if anyone's doing this, is like, you know those mouth guards that you always have to go get them fit at the dentist and all that kind of thing? Like, being able to print your own mouth guard. That <laughs> I would think be... I did see something about yeah. that. When, oh, are they doing it? I don't know if they were braces or if they were mouth guards. Oh, braces. See, there's but... another thing, like really individualized things I like believe that. Invisalign braces have been 3D printed for quite some time. Really? Really? Oh, that's wow. awesome. We so, see? Late to the game. I know. I love when I, I, love when I have, you know, have an idea and it's like three years late and you're like, I'm brilliant. Somebody <laughs> should, oh, no, they're already doing they it. They already did great, it. Great. So uh, Peter Martin is here. I hear that you uh, screwed up the boss's computer keyboard. Is that accurate? It is. And the worst part is I had screwed up my own in the same way maybe six months before, and I forgot. <laughs> so. Um, so you're, so you're going to ask Alex George, our tech editor, to help you, to help you not do this anymore. Also, I think, I think my idea should work. So I'm confused <laughs> why it didn't work, and I would like to try it again. I actually think I have a theory for why it didn't work, too. But so what, what did I did... You do? Yeah. My keyboard, when you use a keyboard for, whatever, three years, your fingers are greasy, they're dirty, it gets gross, it gets like there's black goo on top, and you just kind of wipe off goo. the dirt. It just gets dark. Yeah, okay. And so yeah. I, I had these Clorox wipes in my desk that I thought, that seems smart, it'll wipe the dirt off. So I just, I took a fresh Clorox wipe out, I wiped it all down. And I guess some of the liquid from the Clorox wipe got in the keyboard because then, you know, like I had to hit the, hit the key twice to make a key show up. It would skip other keys, the space bar didn't work. Fine. And then I forgot, and then I went into Ryan's office the other day, and he was annoyed. And I looked at his keyboard, and I was like, well, that's disgusting. And so he offered, he asked me to give him a solution, and I gave him the one that I forgot was not a good idea. <laughs> so he now has a new keyboard, which hey, did that fixes get the, the job problem. done. That does fix the problem. So, but my theory, and Alex can maybe confirm, I think if I had just let the thing dry out a little bit more, because I had used it before, I think it was just too fresh from the thing, and so the liquid goes into the keyboard, it screws it up. If it had been a little drier from the container it wouldn't have had that access to go down and ruin the keys. So, yeah, that's, I think that's right. So what, um, the circuit that kind of makes the keyboard work, that connects, that closes the circuit to make a depression recognized is pretty sensitive. And so, yeah, that was basically it, I think, having too much water on it. But I did some research. I was checking out to see if Clorox wipes specifically caused this problem or if there was something chemical in the, you know, the uh, disinfectant or something like that yeah. that would have adversely caused it. Doesn't seem to be anything specific, so I think it was just pretty much too much, uh, too it's much liquid moisture. In it. Yeah, that's basically it. So that thing, that, that kind of lame thing that everyone says, where spray it on the cloth first and then do it on the uh, keyboard or screen or whatever, it's completely true. So that's the way to go. To have done it properly, I should have used Windex or something on a paper towel and just yeah. Or you could have just you should have like wrung out the um, the Clorox wipe just a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, and then if you, but if you do get something like, if something like that happens and you kind of see like it's too wet or something like that, the first thing you do is unplug it and then turn it upside down. Oh, so, so you can't get to the circuits and it just... Correct. Oh. Yeah. So just, yeah, turn it upside down as quickly as you can. And this was on like an external keyboard, not on the one that when you open up a MacBook, it's yeah, the one yeah, on there. Yeah. Uh, it's the same thing for both of them. Just try and invert them and let them dry as much as possible. It's similar to what you do when, if you drop your phone in water or whatever, if you can, if it's like an Android phone, you can take out the battery, shut it down. First off, shut it down always, and then take apart as much of it as possible, 
and let it dry and then don't turn it on again until it's been at least 24 hours. That's the other major thing because it oh. can short circuit. Does that rice trick work? Is that real? No, I've tried it several times and it's never, <laughs> that's, that's it's never quite worked. No, the better way to do it is just seriously take, take it apart as much as possible, let it air dry. And I, there's no difference really between that. The weight seems the most important. I would think a lot of people are probably antsy to see if they've dried it out, turned oh, it on completely. too early and that ruins it. Yeah, that's that's it's uh, if you read some guides online about that, they're like, it's all it caps, wait 24 hours. It's yeah. very tempting to do that, but that's the major thing you have to do. Since y'all are both here, we might as well move on to this week's testing table. Peter, you're testing something to help you wake up, right? I'm a, I'm a bad sleeper. Um, and then my wife is an angry sleeper, or she just is angry <laughs> if she can't figure out exactly how to get the most and best sleep. Uh-huh. So lately she's been really annoyed. Um, we try to keep our room as dark as possible, and after daylight savings... It's now very dark and we wake up in the complete darkness. And so she wants a better way to wake up. And so we thought, we'll test this alarm clock that wakes you up with light that Alex is a big proponent of, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, so I've been trying that, seeing if it helps a little bit. I don't know. What, <laughs> what, what, is, what does it look like? Well, I mean, my, fear, my big fear with something like this would be that I wouldn't wake up. You yeah. know, like somebody's like slowly turning on a light and I would just sleep right through it and then it'd be noon and I'd come in and be like, sorry. Well, so the one I tried, which according to Alex is sort of the best one, it's the one he uses, was the Philips HF3520. It's uh, 170 bucks, but it, it's probably about a foot round. just looks like a, a discus pretty much and um, it's maybe three or four inches deep. And you can set the light settings on it. It has the light, but it also has a radio. So if you don't see the light, the radio goes off. You're okay. So it's like layers of... Yeah, okay. which is nice because I would worry about the exact same thing that it's, it's 8.30 and I turn over and the light's on, but I yeah. haven't woken up. Right. So yeah, it's nice. You can set the you can set the brightness. You can set the sounds. I chose the bird setting. So oh. very nice bird sounds come out. Because that's part of the problem. We wake up to NPR, which is nice to learn things, but terrible in terms of shock just to... <laughs> so like, and suddenly, we're playing the <laughs> suddenly there's a man speaking in your ear, but it's about something terrible happening <laughs> in Syria. And right. so, bitterness towards Lachnice. So I'll, so I'll, I'll switch to the bird sounds. But yeah, so for me, I, and it didn't really help. But for Alex, it's helped a lot. And I think it's not fair to the machine because I wake up all the time anyway. Um, and I'm always super tired and it doesn't really matter. So I just make myself get out of bed. I, so take all my advice with the understanding that I... I've tried every like sleep thing, and I think I would probably sleep better if I just relaxed a little bit about all of it and didn't try all these things. But this is the best solution. I have the Philips Hue lights, the ones that change color and you can set timers for. And the big thing that this one does when when we were is that this whole idea of having it really close to your head, I think, was the thing that changed it for me. Um, when we did this uh, article on eye strain a while ago, I talked to a researcher about it, and he said that the reason, so like using your phone before you go to bed gives you this blue light. And the reason that's bad, as opposed to a TV that's across the room, is the proximity of the light source. So it kind of affects you. It gets, it's closer to where it hits that part of your brain that signals, you know, it's the, uh, it's the beginning of the day. And that's what can, can hurt your sleep. Uh, but this one specifically works, I think, because body just kind of figures out how to move from a deep sleep cycle to a more shallow one as the light gets brighter and brighter like that. Peter, would you actually buy this? If you, like, do you think it'll continue? I'm going to keep trying it. And I think, so for my wife, the problem is she cannot wake up because it's so dark. So I think it's, I think we just switch it to the other side of the bed and it'll work fine for her. And I Mm -hmm. think just the light from that side, because you're supposed to, Alex and I were talking, you're supposed to set it 16 to 20 inches from your face. um, Even though there's the scary warning of do not look directly into the light. But um, it's supposed to be close to you. And so I think if it were closer to her, it would wake her up and it'd be done. And then I would still just get the ambient light from the rest of the room and it would be okay. So I like the idea of it and I love the idea of it working because it seems so much more gentle. So I would actually, yeah, I would buy it. 
Well, cool. And Alex, you obviously are full, you fully endorsed. You would endorsed. buy it because you own one. Yeah, <laughs> now I bought my money. I like it. it maybe that's uh, something that you do as a consumer is you justify it in your own head. But I, th- I definitely, it's so much more reliable that I'll wake up and actually feel uh, what I imagine normal people feel like when they wake up and actually active. And again, it's, I think it has to do with this sleep cycle thing. So that's our show. The Most Useful Podcast Ever is produced by the staff of Popular Mechanics and edited by Jack Dillon. We'd like to thank Sarah Bentley and Andy Bowers from Panoply and Popular Mechanics Editor-in-Chief Ryan D'Agostino. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes, and while you're there, leave us a comment. And if you want to read more about getting started in 3D printing, check out our website, popularmechanics.com. While you're there, you can subscribe to the print and digital edition of Popular Mechanics magazine for just $13.99 a year. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler. Thanks for listening. Mix a mess of mortar, you add some meth and water. See the Malaroonie come out, slurp, slurp, slurp. Cement mixer, potty, potty. Cement mixer, potty, potty.